Hi, welcome to Clitterly Speaking, the podcast. I'm Michelle Doherty. And I'm Emily Lane. We are BFFs dedicated to bringing you conversations between girlfriends over a bottle of wine. Oh, I am so excited about the wine part. Oh, me too. So pull up a chair, grab your glass, and let's get talking. Hey, 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 Emily. How are you today? Hey, 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 or ho, 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 Michelle. (laughs) I am great. Thank you. It's the holiday season. It's here at last. And uh, so I'm pretty sparkly as a result of that. Well, you know, Emily, I think the holiday season is year round for you because you are sparkly. All year round. <laughs> and I watch Christmas movies all yeah, year round. Yeah, and, and let me ask you this. Are you fully decorated? Mm. I know that this episode will come out after I Christmas. Know. but yeah. Um, I, I am almost. I finally got my... So just for a little context, everyone, I always like to say my Christmas tree, you know, it goes up from... It's up from birth to resurrection because I usually <laughs> keep it up for a very, very long time. <laughs> and as a result, like... It takes me a long time to get it back up. Yeah, so, like, yeah. you know, Christmas is just days away, and I just got it up at midnight last night. Well, you know what? We just got ours up on Saturday. <gasps> okay. So, um, yeah. So, but mine will come down, like, you know, pro- I know. probably before this episode airs. <laughs> <laughs> You know, in the in yeah. the early early New Year, as soon as New Year's is over, I like to put everything back away, kind of calm things down. I get um, it, and then go from there. Except this year, Emily. I I think I'm just hitting an age where I'm emotional. Oh, really? Because I was putting things on the tree, and there's this little ornament with my daughter when she was like two and a half, and I just started bawling as I'm putting Aww. things on the tree. Well, you've like, got a little bit of that empty nesting thing going <laughs> on. You have moved into this new place. It's like your own place yeah. as a single woman for the first time. Right. And kind of ever. <laughs> then the kids aren't all going to be there, yeah. and, and it was just—it was just really funny. I was like, "Why? Why am I crying as I'm putting <laughs> ornaments on the tree?" Oh, <laughs> sentimental. That's really it's a little sentimental. Sweet, actually. Yeah. 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 And then the cat was so funny. He sat in the window ledge and he looked at me like, "What are you doing? <laughs> what are you putting here?" In this space that this I is like my to be. space. Yeah. But yeah. so far, you know, he's left the tree alone. Oh, you good. Know, which is nice. That and can I, be very difficult. I, for cats. I've I've read about that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. I, I'm start the whole I know. This will be a like, totally different episode than what we have planned for you today because I'm actually really excited about this conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell this, us. Well, this was, as you mentioned, um, when our guest came through the doors earlier today, she's like, Emily sent me this t- midnight text. Right. Um, which is true. So I met our guest. Her name is Teresa Carrington. Hello, Teresa. Hello, everybody. So honored to be here. <laughs> I met her at her annual fundraising event for her um, for her nonprofit, and um, this was something I was invited to by being a part of the fashion community and uh, several of my um, fashion. Fellows uh-huh. um, are are very supportive of our organization, and we're like, you have to come, you've got to come. So, I went to this event and learned all about the work that Teresa is doing, and was just completely blown away, and knew that this was a story that we had to tell. So, Teresa, a little background, by the okay. way, is an Emmy Award winning um, journalist, and like 
seven times over or something like 13, that. Thirteen. Right? Oh, counting. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Bruce Yes, exactly. So she's an award-winning storyteller. So you really have a trophy wall. I literally <laughs> have it, except I, I actually keep them in boxes. I really do. I have a couple on display at the office, but other than that, they literally are in boxes. I haven't seen them for years. I really should get them out. It, is it one of these things like, well, you've got one Emmy, you know. You've seen one, one Emmy, and right? you've seen them all. You've seen them all. Why do you need to have <laughs> yeah, more? No. I don't, I don't <laughs> want to intimidate people when they walk into the room, and I, I have, have like so sunglasses many. outside yeah. the office so they can like you know see my face because otherwise yes. the, the blindingness from I the I just kind of think that if you the day that you start believing your own press release you're in big trouble so I just try to, <laughs> I just try to keep them out of my my own sight just to you know just to remember we've still got a long way to go and that's, uh, there's, there's more work to though. do so it's pretty nice to be honored though yeah. it like certainly that. is yeah. it certainly is yeah. so she has turned her amazing storytelling capabilities into this work that um empowers women all around the world, um, supporting uh, their own entrepreneurship and um, tells their story. And I'll have her explain a little bit more about it because it's an, an incredibly impressive program. A lot of people might have some familiarity with with some of the output of of what she does. But at ten by three is the organization. If you go to Whole Foods and you see all of those baskets on the wall, those baskets are made by people in her uh, in her community yep. of, okay. of yeah. makers. Yeah. Yep. And um, but it's so every basket does tell a story, and beyond that, the story of that basket and what it gives back globally is phenomenal. So, first of all, Teresa. I'm so glad you're here, by the way. I'm so I know really we honored to be that, here. We have yeah. some uh, delicious smelling um, bubbly oh, drink in front of us, do. so I can't wait to be given permission to mm. drink this. Oh, please are we, do. Are yeah. we okay to yeah. go? I didn't know if we had to talk yeah. about this we will. delicious we will. We will. Uh, deliciousness in a bottle. <laughs> yes, you, you're welcome <laughs> which is, to drink. Which is awesome. So, uh, well, well, cheers, everybody, yes, to the show. Cheers. And, uh, to all of you out there who are, who are listening uh, to the podcast. Yeah, that was... Uh, in the words of John Panetta, a comedian who I love to listen to, this better be good, huh? Because with a buildup like that, you know, it better it better be good. But the, I think the most important thing to realize about the work that we do is it's based on a partnership, and it's based and rooted in dignity and trust, and that's what you would hope you would find behind handcrafted goods, but. I'm on the ground and I see the other side of the poster that you might read somewhere about similar organizations. Yeah. And I can tell you that, you know, I've told people this before, there's literally a handicraft mo- a handicraft mafia out there. And people laugh when they hear me say that, but it's it's actually true. Over the years of doing this work, I have been taken to lunch, taken to dinner by organizations whose names you would know, asking me to stop doing what I'm doing, which is paying the artisans directly and paying them so much money because we were upsetting their business model. The model that had been come before you. That's their right. model that keeps them in poverty. That's where correct. Your model is designed to actually. You don't even. You're beyond a living wage. You That's are a prosperity, a prosperity wage, wage is what we call it, and it's um, guaranteed to be at least two and a half times fair trade. And our goal is to help our artisans build generational wealth. So. 
before 10 by 3 showed up on the scene in the country of Ghana, we have some of our beautiful, beautiful. products here. And what mm. I'm looking at right now is a Bolga basket. You've probably seen this basket at your local farmer's market. It's a very stereotypical basket from Ghana. It's round. It has a leather handle that goes across the top. And you've seen these before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you need to be careful if it's not a 10 by 3 product for the reasons I'm about to tell you. So... At 10 by 3, it's uh, important to our artisans that they are obviously treated fairly. And so at 10 by 3, we pay them at least two and a half times fair trade. An organization that sells these baskets in from Ghana, um, this would have been back in around 2008, 2009, asked me when I was in Bolgatanga, which is the area of Ghana where these come from, and the area of Ghana where I was married, which is another story we can talk about. Yeah took me to lunch and I had a suspicion of what was coming and they mm -hmm. said exactly to me what I'm telling you. They said, hey, you know, you're really upsetting our business model. Um, the artisans are demanding higher wages. This is a real crimp on our on our business model. Uh, we're not able to make a profit. And I, mm -hmm. I just put my arms yeah. in the air and I said, the answer here is for you to pay them more money. I've been shaken down by nuns and priests, uh, you. So there is a real backstory to the handicraft that you're buying, and as, I know this this uh, podcast is going to come out after the holiday season. But I hope that people will remember. If they remember nothing else from tonight, they need to remember when you are buying a handcrafted good. If you cannot talk to, directly to the maker of that good, you need to be asking more questions. Because okay. there's enough layers in the middle. If they can't, if the organization that you're working with cannot lead you directly to the human who made that good, then there's there's too many layers in the middle, and too much is getting is getting lost in the middle. And so, for our artisans, it really is a partnership. They we require that they do two things: they have to make the most beautiful product. And we are very tough on quality. Our products mm -hmm. jump off the shelf because they are so wonderfully made. And that's not by an accident. There's been a tremendous amount of effort on both, both sides that go into that. And the second thing they have to do is take some of the proceeds and start at least three small businesses, which is the three in our name. Okay. Okay. Ten by three. Mm -hmm. Ten by three. We know that when we purchase ten <coughs> products like this a month, at Prosperity Wages, it empowers them to start three small businesses. And what are those? What's the nature of those businesses? They're almost always agra-related. These are agrarian societies. They are very rural. Uh, the places that we do our best work is extremely rural. When we think about the world's final, what I call the final mile of poverty, it's the final ten or so percent of the world's population that's living in extreme poverty. Most of them are living at the end of roads that have no name, places that are not found on a map. When I pull up my GPS when I'm traveling, I'm in the middle of <laughs> Nowhere. nothing. Yes. Yeah. That's a little bit always yeah. like disconcerting. You're like, well, yeah. there's a dot. Exactly. There's nothing uh, on there's it. There's nothing around. Yeah. Uh, and that's where the world's uh, final mile of, of those living in extreme poverty are, are living. And it's it's where we, we need to go to do that work. And so most of these uh, populations are agrarian in nature. They're farmers. Um, and their businesses will be things like cows and chickens and crops and uh, Bangladesh. They love to raise pigeons there. That's a big one of the big businesses there. So it's that type of business. And uh, we were talking about Ghana earlier. Uh, we 
at the gala that you just spoke yeah. about, we were sharing the Artisans of the Year. We select an Artisan of the Year that just started a few years ago. And in Ghana, her name is Adam Bila. And Adam Bila is an incredible, incredible entrepreneur, cannot read, cannot write, but was one of the smartest businesswomen I've ever met. Today, she graduated from our program in 2014. Today, she has six going businesses, and those businesses are generating more than 40 streams of income for her. Oh, and my that gosh. That is how we reset generational wealth in developing economies, and that's what this program does. So um, can we take, like, a step back? Because sure. I want to know what your inspiration was to even creating. I mean, you're an Emmy Award-winning journalist, um, and now you run a not-for-profit. So there's a there's a big gap from like where you went from there to here. Yeah. And I'm just really curious, and I think that would also help mm-hmm. our, our listeners uh, yeah. get to know you better. So the, yeah, I was a journalist for 20 years, and I was going nowhere but up in my career. Oh, darn, uh, right? I know. I know. And, uh, <laughs> Let me just stop that. I had this crazy, crazy idea that I needed to do something to give back. I okay. was raised below the poverty line in this country. I was a foster kid, finally adopted at the age of eight. So that comes with all kinds of goo. And the the farm on which I was raised in South Central Kansas, we were raised five of us kids on a teacher's salary. And so... Because we were farm kids, we ate really well, but for example, I didn't get to choose my own clothes or have a new set of clothes, like to make a decision that I'm going to buy that shirt from that rack in that store until I was 14 years old when I earned the money myself Mm -hmm. over a summer. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what it's like to be poor in Ghana, but I do know what it's like to be trapped in conditions beyond your control. And I know what it's like to not have hope and to not have parents, and all the mess that comes with poverty. Not Ghanaian poverty, but my own experience. And so fast forward in my life, and I'm doing very well as a journalist right here in St. Louis, and decided that I wanted to try to give back. Um, At the same time, around that same time, my whole life was falling apart. My whole personal life was falling apart. And my, it was Valentine's Day, 1999. It is the morning, that morning, I awake to two dozen roses, a beautiful card from my husband. And late in the morning, he says, hey, there's a boat show in St. Louis. Do you mind if I go to the boat show? Absolutely not. I'll stay here with the kids. No big deal. Thirteen-year marriage. We're mm-hmm. not gonna... just gave me chocolates and roses. Of, yeah, of course, course you can you go. go. <laughs> and I never saw him again. What? He doesn't come home. He doesn't come home that night. And that's crazy. I don't. If you had asked me in that moment, uh, I just went numb. I handled the children all day. We didn't have cell phones right, then. Right, I remember 99. You yeah. know, it's 1990. I mean, cell phones were around. We just but, didn't happen yeah, to own yeah. any. It's not like today where we yeah. all have them. Yeah. So there was no cell phone. There's no way to get a hold of them. And so I don't really think anything of it. Put the children to bed. Go to bed. Just You have to be worried that well, something happened, you know, Joanne. You know? it, was the, it was the strangest, most surreal moment because next morning comes. I'm aware that he's not home because I had made the bed the night before and his entire side is undisturbed. I get up, I get the children to to school, school, I get into work, 
and I call a colleague to the side and I said, because this is the way every you know, homicide story that exactly. I ever covered yeah. starts. Yeah. You know, the person doesn't show up at the appointed place at the appointed time. And I said, her name is Alita. And I said, Alita, I I don't know what's going on, but this is what happened. And she takes me into, uh, this is at um, Channel 4 at the time. I was working at Channel 4 News. And she takes me into what we called Studio B and took me by both shoulders and literally gave me a shake, just a just a jolt. And she said, Teresa, your husband has left you. And oh I am gosh. telling you, as your colleague right now, I want you to go home. I am sending you home. And that was the moment that, you know, the beginning of the end. I am just absolutely in a daze. I... I remember very little, so, frankly. So you the, had confirmation that he was not dead. Because here I am. I've been no, watching yeah, that I, I, don't know. And I don't know that he's not dead. You don't but know. But she immediately he's, says, he's, he's, he's clearly left you. Left you. Yeah. Okay. And she said, you know, if if something had happened to him, she felt like we would have been con- I would have been yeah. contacted by law mm, enforcement yeah. if there had been an accident or something like this. Yeah. Well, sure enough, this was in the early early days of the internet. None of us understood who Google was. We were yeah. all still asking Jeeves. We or were aware yeah, there was an internet, but we really didn't know. And what I don't know is that he's developed an online affair with a woman back in the day when this is absolutely unheard of, and the rest is history. He, I'm just so confused about the fact that. Like he gave you this distraction of roses and chocolates, right? And it, to like well, isn't get that the what all of our sisters do? Like, well, I mean, I'm <laughs> telling you, it happened to another friend of mine where yeah. her, it was on her birthday, April, probably around the same yeah. time frame, and he had taken her out. Um, they did a boat ride at Forest Park. They had all of this wonderful, like, like imagine the ultimate fantasy experience with your husband or your spouse Mm -hmm. and then the next day he left her for a a high schooler oh and moved into into her basement i mean it's like wow so you know this is you know for ladies who are are listening to to your show Mm. you just i could have been pushed over by a feather at that point i had absolutely no clue right this was happening I had absolutely no clue. And I tell women that if it could happen to me, I consider myself bright. Um, right. I'm observant. You're a journalist. Your job is to ask right. questions. Right. Never right. saw this coming. Wow. Never saw it coming. So how does that lead to an right. international organization that now is serving and seven countries and, and maybe, thousands? And maybe we need to say thanks for leaving you. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right? Well, I kind of believe that it's... How we react, how we choose to react to a situation, right. and that's that's going to determine. I mean, I think the best revenge is living well mm-hmm. and doing the right thing and enjoying your life. And so I could have. So when you combine this very life-altering moment on top of 
growing up with a whole series of life altering moments you know from when i was born my i'm the i'm the product of a prostitute encounter my mom was a prostitute so she was actually in prison when i was born and i'm taken oh, out wow. of prison she so they take her out of prison she gives birth to me and boom i'm <laughs> in a system right so was so, she um, working as a sex worker because of living in extreme poverty and that being her option uh, you know that- i never had a chance to meet her so mm-hmm. I don't know this information. Mm-hmm. I know the information about what I know. I know it to be factual because I've talked to family members, et cetera. But what drove her to do that, I can't say. Yeah. I, I would have to assume that it was money or some sort of an addiction that, that then required more money than right. she was able to earn. So when you come back to this, there's a cataclysm. I'm in this cataclysmic moment. Yeah. And I... Suddenly, around me springs up people. They came from everywhere. I would, even though I had a really good job, uh, my income now is changed dramatically. Yeah. Yeah. I had a two-income life. Now I'm at a one-income life. And, and you I'm, have the children. Right. And I'm barely making it. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I'm barely making it. I have a house. It's way too dang big for mm-hmm. one income. Yeah. And I start having random silent acts of kindness bestowed upon me example i lived in staunton illinois when this happened and i had my my absolute dream home it was a two three-story victorian wrap around porch sat on an acre the house of my dreams but as a single mom too much lawn for me to mow i would come home and my lawn would be mowed, and I would have oh, no idea who did it. That was beautiful. The, at the time, I was working for Channel 4, as I mentioned. The station, it's a name you might know. His name is Ray Preston. He was a longtime yeah. reporter here in yeah. St. Louis, just recently retired. He organizes the whole newsroom. And on a Saturday, X Saturday, in X month of that year, the whole newsroom, arguably most of them, show up at my house to do maintenance. They're painting, they're mowing, oh they're sweeping, oh, they're repairing, they're doing yeah. all of these things that I can't, I physically can't get to in this very old 1900s yeah. uh, Victorian. I went one morning, I'm kind of shouting back over my shoulder, hey kids, it's time to go to school, come on, let's go, and you know the way out of your own home just like I did mine, and I start to open the door and I spin around and nearly trip. Because on that beautiful wraparound front porch is a sea of groceries someone has quietly left in the oh, night. Oh, my gosh. These random acts of kindness start raining from everywhere. I started getting cards from people all over, friends that I knew, friends that I'd fallen out of contact with, new friends that were coming yeah. into my life. And I started gathering all of these beautiful, what I call blessings, mm-hmm. into a basket and started calling it my blessing basket. And from there, started getting asked to speak to women's groups about overcoming struggle and trial. And on the really hard days, when I did not think I could take another step, I would reread those cards. Uh Mm. On the days when I thought, you know, maybe my mom can raise my kids. You Mm -hmm. know, like, like that. Like, I think I need to check out of this whole life. Mm. I would just sit down and reread the cards of encouragement and slowly card by card, act of kindness by act of kindness, day after day of just one foot in front of the other, just trying to make it. 
I healed from this incredible trauma that had happened. And it was in that moment that I thought, I have to do something Mm -hmm. to with this. I I, I can't pay them back for what they did, but I can pay it forward. And so I am going to do something that will really tackle the issue of poverty. So I decided that with this basket and with this story of using the basket as a vessel to hold things that are a blessing to you that can help you heal, I started just taking a basic basket that I was getting from a woman who was importing them. Uh, She lived in Arizona. I attached a card saying, this is what this is. It's a blessing basket. It's this place where you gather and so forth and so on. And it was this instruction. I wish I had saved the little tiny reel-to-reel tapes that we had (laughs) back in the day that recorded messages because I started getting calls from women saying, example, the story that sticks out in my mind is a woman called and said, I was given one of your blessing baskets and I used it as a place to put memories of my husband who just passed. Mm. And on the tough days, I go to that and I just want to thank you. It's really been healing for me. And as a journalist, that journalist part took over and I thought we are really helping the recipient but who is making these These baskets baskets. yeah and that sent me on a quest to try to figure out who was making the baskets and so before we before you jump into how you found the who I have a couple a couple things I want to like raise and make aware for our listeners is that you were so touched by these acts of kindness from mm-hmm. people you knew, people who knew of you, mm-hmm. but you know, and they cared enough to send you a card That's or right. groceries. And you didn't necessarily go out and put a go. We didn't have GoFundMe no. then. You didn't yeah, go out. No. And, you didn't go out and ask for it. So, so I guess what I want to say to our listeners is, it's okay to send that note. It's okay to write that letter. It's okay to drop off a, a, a bag of groceries at your friend's house. Even if she or he has not asked you for them, because we don't we don't know that. Oh gosh, well maybe they'll think I'm being rude if I bring it by. Oh, I don't want to be. I don't want to interfere. It's okay. Yeah. Do do that act of kindness because listening to you talk about how just reading those notes kept you here. That's right. You know, and yeah. that and that note came weeks ahead, weeks ahead of time, right? But you still looked at it. So I just want to stress that in our time, as we go through such divisiveness in our nation and our world, that it's okay to be kind mm-hmm. yeah. to the people around us. It was really beautiful that you would highlight that. And if you were to go back and ask the people who gave me those cards and letters in those early days, they would never remember doing it. Right. It was such just a, a normal a normal part of their personality that they would send a kind note or do a random act of kindness that they wouldn't even remember it. To me, it was everything. Mm-hmm. So do not, as you are saying, do not underestimate your random act of kindness. Yes. The card that you can put in the mail, the little tiny gift. Um, I... Uh, started with my children as this was all going on and I began healing. Uh, If we could afford to go out to eat, which was rare, but it happened, I would have the children pick one person in the restaurant. They got to pick and we would pay for that person's meal. Mm -hmm. The only rule was that it had to, they had to have children. So 
and we liked single moms because they <laughs> understood <laughs> I was a single mom. And so I'm sitting in Edwardsville, Illinois, where, where I live, and we have done this. We are sitting in a Mexican restaurant because we very cost-efficient food. All the chips. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> very cost-efficient eating there. And so I said to the kids, okay, you know, pick someone. And they eye a mother in a booth with one child, and so it's on. And so we communicate with the waiter, and there was a bit of a language barrier there because I don't know how to speak Spanish, And but they got the point. I'm paying for that ticket. Well, unfortunately, the part about don't tell them doesn't get translated well, and the woman, I'm unaware. It's behind my shoulder, uh, over my uh, left shoulder, and the... Children are saying, Mom, the guy's talking to her. Mom, she's getting up. Mom, she's coming over here. Mom, she... And the woman is standing right beside me, and I thought, oh, my heavens, I'm I'm about to get it now. And her response was so beautiful. She said, I understand. I have you to thank for covering our meal. And I said, yes, and you really aren't supposed to know that. <laughs> and she said, uh, I want you to know that we didn't need that support, but more importantly, I'm going to do this. We're going to accept your gift, and it's our nudge to now start doing that for others. And she was very gracious. She received this yeah. this kind, you know, this random act of kindness, and then went pledged to go onward and do and to do that to someone else. And so, don't underestimate that. Yeah. So yeah. I. That was yeah. a fearful moment for me because I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to upset somebody. Mm-hmm. And guess what? I was met with kindness right. exactly as you yeah. just uh, predicted. So yeah. thank you for highlighting that. It's so it's, important. It's so important in these days. Um, we just, you know, I, I remember just have, going to a high school reunion years and years ago. I shouldn't say it like that, but one of my first <laughs> high school reunions <laughs> post high school, uh, talking to a, a former classmate. And of course, you know, I didn't actually remember him, but he remembered me. And uh, I, apparently we had algebra together, but I don't remember that. But what stuck with me was when he said to me, I worked in the lunchroom and you were always so nice to me mm-hmm. going through the line. I was like, oh, well, I'm glad that I was yeah, nice, yeah. you know, <laughs> but like I, I wasn't, I wasn't like, I'm going to be nice today yeah. and impact somebody's life. But he, but it, apparently it was such a positive right. that he remembered me 10, 15 years later. Yeah. And, and that has stuck with me, you know, like, you know what? It doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt to um, s- give a smile. It doesn't hurt to call somebody by their name, you know, mm-hmm. if they have their name, a name mm-hmm, tag, yeah. if they're, if they're, you know, serving you or, or yeah. whatever, it doesn't, that doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. So, um, I just, I was very touched by how you talked about your blessing basket and the notes and things. And I just mm-hmm. wanted to drive that home, but we're not going to, I'm not going to kill you guys with any more you know, notes <laughs> like that. But I, now let's like move forward. Right. Like you wanted to know where the baskets came from. That's right. And so I, was very good at my job as a journalist. <laughs> and and I you knew, have a few Emmys to prove I, that. I, yes. I knew how to do research even before Google. <laughs> and I found the, I decided I was going to start in the Appalachian Mountains because that was one of the poorest locations in our country at that time. And found a professor in the Northeast whose name unfortunately has been forgotten to time. But he had done a study on the Appalachian Mountains. And so I found his home phone number, which I am quite positive he changed immediately <laughs> thereafter. So I, call, I, I am literally 
working now for Fox 2 at that time, I am on a stakeout of a drunk driver waiting for the driver to drive because I know he's driving and he's already killed three people. Oh I'm waiting to get gosh. him. So most of my Emmys were won for investigative journalism. So I'm on a stakeout and I got nothing else to do. I'm watching this house waiting for this guy to go. Uh, so I can get a schedule, and then I'll come back with the photographer, and we're going to get him. We're going to get this guy off the road. But as I'm sitting there, I'm doing my research and uh, find this um, find this guy's home phone number. I have it with me, so I call him from the car. I have the station's car. I've got a car phone then. And so I call this guy and tell him who I am, what I want to do. And his first words were, well, that's not going to work. Of course. And of course, those are fighting mm-hmm. words for someone like yeah. me. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. You don't understand. You're talking to <laughs> Teresa here. Of course it's going to work. No, it's not. Yes. So this tug of war goes on finally. I'm like, okay, why won't it work? And he said, well, the people of the Appalachians can't weave. And I was like, oh, you have my attention. <laughs> okay. I never thought of that. <laughs> he goes, you need to take this project to where. Weaving is indigenous and poverty is at its greatest. Mm. You need to take wow. this to Africa. And I'm like, oh that my goodness. Good advice. <laughs> That's really good advice. And now, how do I do that? And right, he right. said, well, I have no idea. But he said, there is a place online called the Mountain Forum. It no longer exists today. It did until eh, fairly recently, maybe within the last five, seven years. And he said, it's a place where people come together to talk about important issues facing the planet. He said, you have to be sponsored in. I will sponsor you in. But after that, you're on your own. Yeah. Crazy lady. Changing my phone I'm number. Sure, I'm sure he added <laughs> crazy lady, at least in his head. And so on we went. And once you got to the mountain forum, it was a chat room for every continent in the world. And so I put a little message in each chat room's bulletin mm-hmm. board, digital bulletin board, saying, here's who I am. Here's what I want to do. And if you have a need and you can weave, then contact me. Mm-hmm. And overnight, 12 countries responded. Wow. And wow. within two weeks, we were up to more than 25 countries and 80 inquiries saying, pick us, that's come like, here. That's like total confirmation that you were on that's the right, right. track. Mm-hmm. That's you right. know, I mean, we've talked about like, how do you know? And I keep beating myself and beating my head up against the wall. And that like, if it's meant to be, it becomes, I mean, not saying that right. this has been an easy project, no, but, but yeah. like doors, there are doors open. open and there are yeah. signs. There yeah. are signs. And I'd like to tell you in that moment, I was like, yes, I'm going to go save the world. But I actually said, no, I'm just thinking about it. <laughs> I really have kind of thought about this and I really don't yeah. know anymore. Yeah. I don't know. I just, you know. Mm. But then pictures started rolling in of people who had need. And I suddenly became uh, in a watershed moment really aware that I was being called, asked, whatever you mm-hmm. believe in, but the universe was saying to me, you are needed here. Yeah. And I tried to work and do this on the side. And when I realized that these women really need my my best and I, I can't yeah. do that and do this. And one thing Worth led the to hours another. Of yeah, TV I news. just, I couldn't. Yeah. And yeah. so I left an incredibly lucrative career to I just walked away and started doing this with no idea how I was going to make it. And by the time we entered our first business competition, which was held at Washington University here in St. Louis called the Olin Cup, Mm. I was over $40,000 in debt on my credit cards for money that I had sent all over the world. 
And it really became a sink or swim moment. And we were the first and only nonprofit in the history of that competition to ever win. And as a result of us winning, they started a brand new competition for those people who I would come to learn were social entrepreneurs. I didn't even know social that. Social entrepreneurship. I didn't even mm. know I was a social entrepreneur until somebody at WashU told me that. And uh, the sponsor of one of the sponsors of the Olin Cup, a uh, gentleman named Bob Scandalaris, who started the Scandalaris oh, sure. Center for Social Entrepreneurship, yeah. became our founding sponsor. Nice. Uh, we were asking for $200,000 in the competition as a um, investment that we would return a 5% interest on. So give us your money. Don't put it in a CD. Put it with us. We'll, mm-hmm. you know, we were already in our first Whole Foods by that point. And Bob, I wrote a letter. He met with me for three hours at the Ritz-Carlton mm-hmm. here in St. Louis after that competition. And like, this is me. I'd never set foot in the Ritz. I walk in in the bar area yeah, there. it's beautiful. And I sit down, and I'm waiting for this guy. I don't even know who he is. I don't know who this person is. I'm just told by WashU, somebody at WashU who was involved in the competition, be there, meet this guy. They bring me water in, like, the fanciest, pantsiest glass with ice and all that <laughs> and a thing and stuff and and then this bowl of nuts, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, the- really? Hi, how are you?" And I just literally, when put the person wasn't purse. looking, wrapped it in a napkin, I put it in my purse, and I put it back up there. And they brought me another one. And you're and thinking like, to yourself, "Oh my God, is the everlasting gobstopper of nuts here?" Well, well I'm bringing my kids here to so the Mexican <laughs> restaurant. Like, oh my God, forget Mexican. We're going to the so, Ritz. Kids. I, I know exactly. I'm like, we just hang out in the Ritz because like you get free stuff when you're here. So. I mean, I was such a farm girl about to be found out. And what I don't know is that Bob is a billionaire. I have no I have no idea who he was. And for the next three hours, he would ask me unrelenting questions for reasons I do not understand. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I, I would tell him later what I'm about to tell you. I left that meeting. I get into my car. And just am crying. Yeah. I didn't let him see me cry. Yeah. But I just unlocked. I just lost it in my car. I'm pounding on the steering wheel, screaming at the sky. What does this guy want from me? I'm just trying to make a difference. Why did, well, a week later, I get a letter from him. I had to read it three times to understand what was happening. Not only was he going to give us the $200,000 that we were looking for, it was not going to be a loan. It was going to be a gift. Nice. And that was the That was right. it. Yeah. And the rest, 20 years later, is history. That's amazing. He wanted to make sure that you had something viable, real, yeah. that you that had you a vision just had that a you could business execute. business model that would keep people poor. Right. Yeah. That, that was you know? part of it. He would tell me later that... One of the things he was looking for, he said, I never believe numbers people give me on paper. He said, it's their best guess, but it's just all made up. He said, I don't invest in the numbers. I invest in the people. And he wanted to know what he was looking for. He was also gauging my strengths and weaknesses because it was one of the most beautiful gifts we have ever received, not only because of its size, but beyond that, it came with some Uh, conditions, and they are remarkable. And I hope any of your listeners out there who might be philanthropists will listen to what I'm about to say, because it was, I've never seen it before, have not seen it since. 
In his letter, these were the conditions of his $200,000. One, that we would not get it all at once. It would be in 12 equal monthly installments. Okay. Two, in his time with me, he had realized I did not know what a P&L or a balance sheet was. Right. I have never been to college, by the way. Yeah. I have oh, only wow. a high school education. Wow. But I was given an honorary doctorate from WashU. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so I, I, awesome. I, have, I have a degree. A <laughs> but anyway, he recognized that my weakness was the financial. So he said, condition number two, you are going to report to one of the CFOs of my companies, and they are for every month, you will have to go over your balance sheet and your P&L with them. And slowly by slowly, that person helped me understand what is a P&L, what is a balance sheet, while at the same time, they're kind of acting as a bit of a guide or yeah. rudder to watch Bob's investment and also make yeah. sure that I'm learning. Yeah. He said, condition number three, you will hire someone. He wow. said, if you continue to try to do this on your own, out of your basement, you will not make it. Yeah. He said, I can see already that you're tired. So he said, you've got to hire someone to help you with this money. And he said, the fourth condition is that you will get an office. You mm -hmm. need to make this a legitimate mm -hmm. organization. Yeah. And he said, and finally, from here forward, you will refer to us as your founding sponsor. Brilliant, wow. brilliant requirements. Yeah. Not that you'll build a building in my name, not that yeah. you have to give me all these reports and prove what you're doing. Yeah. He had someone assigned to help help mentor me, help yeah. coach me. It was one of the most beautiful gifts we have ever received. I learned so much in that first year. How many years ago was this? He, he His gift was in 2005. He okay. granted it to us in 2004, and it would begin January of 2005. So this, you have been at this for a Almost while 20 years. now. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, I started when I was a tall, blonde supermodel, you know. And And the weight of the world has, it can sometimes, you know, alter, yes, exactly. alter our height and our hair yes, color. Exactly. I mean, sometimes it does that, yeah. you know. So I wow. tell, I, I speak, uh, get the privilege to speak to students a lot at colleges, and I tell them, so watch out, kids. This is what development work does to your face. <laughs> Girls shudder. And, you know, no. Some go wailing out of the room. I don't know. Have you, um, have you, in the countries that you've been working, had any, I know you said you've, like, the priests and the nuns are asking mm -hmm. you to, like, change your business model, but have you had any other, like, uh, difficulties? Because you, you know, when you are working with these artists as artisans and, and they're, you know, having a, pos a prosperity wage, having 40 income streams, isn't that, like, setting them apart from, like, it the is. rest of the community? And how are, how, how yeah. do we balance that? Yeah. Or We're just, definitely upsetting the balance of power. There's no question about it. And that has come with a whole array of different challenges. Um, some good, some really not good. So when we upset the balance of power, uh, Washington University students have taken a keen interest in our work, and they went to Madagascar, this has been a number of years ago, and asked the very question that you are asking. We separated the weavers, the women, from their husbands, mm -hmm. and under the watchful eye of the Ampanzaka, which is the local king, the men uh, were spoken to, and equally under Mama Dada, who is the, the senior woman, the women were spoken to. And the same question was asked, ladies, how do, how do your husbands feel about you mm -hmm. earning all of this money and being now the real wage earner in the family? 
And they there was a little bit of snickering in the room, and finally one elder woman spoke, and she said, well, we just make them think that they're making all the decisions. Mm. And I thought, oh, that sounds kind of familiar. <laughs> yeah. We do that in the States. <laughs> yeah. And then when the, the re- results that came back from the men, the men were, yeah, you know, our women are earning, and they're getting cows and crops and so forth. But, you know, we make all the decisions, and so we're, we are really in power. They, they, they don't have all the power. All this prosperity is happening because, because we me. made the decision. Yeah, to, exactly. Yeah. So... Part of it has been in the how the women manage the situation, and so I think how they have to walk some cultural lines is really phenomenal that they're still able to achieve, like Adam Bila, the incredible yeah. success that they do achieve. They understand how to work the cultural barriers that they're up against, uh, and it speaks to how brilliant they are and uh, just how innovative their thinking can be. So that's part of it. The... The interesting part is a lot of women have left their husbands. I yeah, we see yeah. A, a, have seen a, a mass exodus of women because they now have the funds to they live have power back and yeah. live on their own. And when you said that uh, the women are like, we, well, we make them think that they. Uh, they are the decision makers, and the men are like, we are the decision makers. I mean, that's 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 such a cultural thing, right? Um, and that a thing is like such a vague word. Um, but dynamic? Well, dynamic, so, yeah, but, like, it but it's also, it's, it's kind of like a global, right? Yeah. I mean, only in the U.S. in the last probably, my, you know, I'm 53, so thinking about more and more women on their own in, in my lifetime right. versus, you know, mm-hmm. my right. mother's lifetime, you know, my grandmother's lifetime. Right. And that's why I'm curious to to look forward in the years to see when that shift comes in those countries where you're working, yeah. where the women don't have to manage the man's expectations of himself. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm also glad that um, these women aren't completely trapped either. You yeah. know, like there are a lot of countries where women oh, yeah. can't leave Still their can't, husbands. Yeah, yeah husbands. exactly. So, right. They, they so. can't. Yeah, and we faced that. Uh, we had to get one of our directors in Uganda, what I would call into protective custody, uh, due to a really bad domestic situation. And I said, why don't you just divorce them? And she said, it's not possible here in Uganda. Mm. So those are the realities that our artisans face. And when, in the early days of this work, I was one of the first, if not the first, to place cash directly into the hand of a woman living in extreme poverty in a developing nation and trust that she knew what to do with that money. Mm-hmm. People who look like me have been traveling to economies like Ghana, like Uganda, mm-hmm. telling yep. women like our artisans that they know best because they're from the West. And so when I thought we were really seeing some results, remember, I have no college degree, and so that has me suffering from a lot imposter syndrome a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm not qualified to be in this room, and so I really question a lot of our results, right? So in this moment, I went to someone at WashU, and I said, listen, we are really starting to see some results, and I want to make sure that I really am looking at the light at the end of the tunnel and not a train coming, mm, that right, I'm not yeah. doing some mm-hmm. unintentional harm that I am unaware of. And my goodness, do I have a lot to learn, and I certainly could be doing that. 
So he took me to meet a Nobel economic laureate who was um, housed at WashU. And his name was uh, Dr. Douglas North. Very, you know, obviously he's a Nobel economic laureate. The man knows mm -hmm. what he's doing. Has since passed away. And I told Dr. North the highlights of our of our success at that point at about four years in and said, now, please, I'm here seeking knowledge. What am I seeing? And he became enraged. He slammed his hand down on the desk and said, I don't know who you think you are. He said, I counsel the governments of countries on their economy. I counseled China. And the list goes on and on and on. And he said, I don't know who you think you are, but I've been doing this for 30 years. And if you think you're going to come into my office and tell me that you have a solution that ends poverty, he said, I'm telling you, you don't. And because I said, guess what? You're going to upset the balance of power. power. And uh, all of us, and all of us so, governments yeah. who I counsel, oh, my gosh. And I, he said, you're giving the women the money. You're just giving it to them like that. And I said, well, they're producing this basket. Yes, I'm putting cash. You know, that's yeah. part of our requirement. They have to put them. cash in their hand. I, I don't want any middlemen. That cash has to go into their hand. He said, well, they won't know what to do with it. They'll just throw it on the ground. They're just lowly women after all. And in yeah. that moment, yeah. I was like, you you know, I'm new, and I don't have no Nobel Prize, which, by the way, I would like to win. I was going to say, put well, that out into the universe years ago. In your future, um, I just thought, oh my God, I cannot believe he's sitting here telling me that women will throw cash on the ground. This is not. My mind was blowing up. I could not understand what I was being told. I think the kindest things that happened to our nation is that he has passed away. Okay. So that was a real um, lightning moment for me that I realized that maybe I knew more than I was giving myself credit for. Not knew more. That doesn't come out your, right. But your that, gut instinct was yeah, was correct. Is I think correct. That's, I think that's that's a better way to say it. And it's similar, like, even when people are talking about, you know, what, universal basic um, income or the, the pilot programs where cities, and I know St. Louis is doing the same thing, where, you know, they are, like, giving, you know, uh, P families in poverty, $500 a month with no strings attached. Mm -hmm. And all these other people are like, oh, they're just going to throw it on the ground. They're mm -hmm. just going to piss it away. They're mm -hmm. going to spend it on, you know, whatever. Um, because we we feel as if somebody's in poverty because they've made bad decisions in their yeah. life, and that's yeah. why they're I, poor. I grew up in poverty, and I didn't make a bad decision. You, it, it's just what life handed me. Exactly. But exactly. then I, I also had the privilege of my white skin, and I was able to have a lot of opportunities that others might not have had. Even though I was still in poverty, I still had a lot of privileges. Yeah. So. Um, but what you're doing is you're going, you're, you're giving the women, they earn the money from making this basket. This is their earnings. Right. You know, whatever your percentage is, isn't going to be greater than what the, the people are, are making. Mm -hmm. And just to not, um, a similar industry uh, is like the book publishing, mm. right? So I have a book that... Um, called Midnight Playground, do not buy, please don't ever buy the hard copy, mm -hmm. right? The hard copy. Pay. You might be thinking you're doing me a favor because it's more expensive, right? Mm -hmm. The hard copy. Yeah. The hard copy is like $35. I get 53 cents. Oh, my what? Lord. I get 53 cents for every hard copy. I get $1.50 from every um, paperback. 
and then I get like a dollar ten from every ebook. Whoa! And so you've got like the the paperback is twenty bucks. So that's because everybody in the middle has right. to take their cut. And even right. though the content creator, right, right. your basket maker, mm-hmm. I mean, fifty three cents. That's, so yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and so yeah, and in our in in our case, so people always want to know about the money. So what we're what I'm holding in my hand is what we call a veggie basket. It's made in uh, Bangladesh. Um, yeah, I don't know Perul well. I took this image of her. I wish there was another artisan that I knew really well. I do know a lot of our artisans, but they're oh, I know Harriet. <laughs> and their pictures are on the yeah. on the yeah. on the so, tag, so you can we, see yeah, them. We can talk about that for just a second. Um, this is not a poster child on here. This literally is, is. Harriet's basket. And, and their signature. That is exactly right. So we can, there's a lot to unpack here. So the signature is, let me, let, so it's not all kittens and puppies, meaning I've really screwed up along the way. And when I do, I own it. It's just my, my own lack of knowledge. And, I, and I'll share one very transparently here. So when we first started buying baskets from artisans, I insisted that every artisan sign their basket. You're going to sign that basket. I oh, wanted yeah. to see a person's signature on that basket as my way of being able to be transparent, trace, it, trace right? it back to somebody. Yeah. So if you own an early, early, what you would have known as a blessing basket, which is now 10 by 3, we were known as the Blessing Basket Project up until 2018. Okay. And today are now known as 10 by 3. Um, you would have one of these uh, signatures. And... As I traveled more and more, watched women more and more as they turned in their baskets, I began to realize that these these signatures, I started seeing it coming into the U.S. I started seeing it happening in the field. I would get a check mark, a line, a flower, a circle, a squiggly. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They didn't know how to write their own name. And it never dawned on me. And so my pursuit for transparency and for a signature ultimately has women like Harriet in a position of, um, you know, no power. She's in a, she's in a position that I've placed her in where I'm forcing her to sign this and she doesn't know how to write her name. And I've put her in a place not of dignity. It's it's yeah. not a place of dignity, She's and it wasn't like a done bit intentionally. Of a shame. Yeah, right. It, so she was having the the directors sign her name, or anybody mm. that could write sign her name, and I stole her power. You know, we take the ability to write our name here in the United States for granted. Children yeah. before they enter school will often know how to write right. their name. And if you look at the signatures of many of our women, like Belanga here from Madagascar, mm-hmm. this is very likely the first time she has ever written her name. So wow. in 2018 into 2019, we devised a way to actually capture that signature. These sheets are fascinating. You should see what we went through, the thought that we went through to show Harriet, show Belonga, show any of these artisans here physically the strokes to make to write their name. And then with a series of either staff or volunteers, each name was carefully uh, digitized, scanned on a scanner, cleaned up mm-hmm. <laughs> to the micro and associated with their profile in our system. Okay. So that never again will Belonga ever have to 
So how many employees do you have now? Right. So in St. Louis, we are a staff of nine. Okay. And and internationally, while they do not work directly for 10 by 3, we've launched nonprofit organizations in each of the countries that we serve so that we can have the legal structure with which to operate. We have over 25 people mm-hmm. globally that are, and that's the other important point to make, Ghanaians run the Ghanaian operation. Ugandans run the Ugandan operation. And my head of finance for all of the countries that we're in, which is seven of them, is a young woman based out of Kenya. So because it bothered me for years that our teams on the ground would have to frankly come to the colonial white lady, right, and talk about the money and talk about the budget. And that bothered the hell out of me. And so it wasn't until... Fairly recently, I was finally able to get the capital necessary to put the right person in place. And so now, any issues involving money, the budget, et cetera, the, all of our teams worldwide who are black and brown people are talking to a black and brown person, mm-hmm. and that person is in a position of authority and power. And it's just another way that I'm working very hard to rewrite the narrative. So... Um My brain is exploding because I have so many questions all at once. I'm trying to figure out, like, which one do I get out first? Um, You have a very interesting uh, kind of transparency process with um, with the money side of it, which Mm -hmm. I think is extremely innovative and something that people across supply chains have been trying to figure out. Would you explain a little bit about what you've developed? Because it's it's actually pretty phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. So this technology that I'm going to talk a little bit about um, has been honored by the United Nations for its ability to bring cultures together. So we receive the Intercultural Innovation Award. It's a very few people would know it. It's not like an Emmy because your mom knows what an Emmy <laughs> is, but she doesn't know what the uh, UNAOC award is. Uh, but it's the Intercultural Innovation Award. And... Um, The way that we track everything behind the scenes is with the help of our uh, technology partner, which is Syntech, we're doing the... So I would run across a problem. Example, so-and-so needs to be reimbursed for their fuel, and I don't have a receipt. So we now have to devise a way to track this expense without a receipt. How are we going to do that? And so I would work with the folks at Syntech and... Together, we would figure out what the process was going to be. And in the case of a fuel receipt in very cash-driven societies, the team member has to provide a photograph of the location that they went with GPS coordinates. And then I have yet another person that I have hired on the African continent, specifically in Togo, Jean-Marie Dodo. He is the one that checks every single one of those receipts, et cetera. So what you, I know, have seen behind the scenes that, I, that, I've, that mm-hmm. I've shown you, uh, Emily, is this incredible from the minute the money enters into the pipeline exactly where it went who touched it how where's the receipt for that how is it matched with the budget that we've given them it's a just a thousand percent transparency nobody else in the world has this technology have you thought about talking to the Department of Defense at all? <laughs> I can think of a few people who need to track their money better. Because, you know, they failed every audit. <laughs> but if they just had our technology. If they just used yeah. your plan. Yeah, so it's a very, very 
transparent system. And, you know, as a nonprofit, our 990s are out there for the right, world to right. see. And I invite people. We, uh, this year, will sell about 83,000 products to Whole Foods Market stores across the nation. That will help us generate, along with donations, a revenue of about $2 million. I implore people, please go look at our 990. If there is a way that you can think that we can be smarter, more economical with our money, I am in. Because everything... As, as long we, as it's not at the cost of oh, the of course. makers, oh right? Oh, my gosh. I've actually yeah. had people suggest that. Well, why don't you just lower your cost of goods? Uh, that's the whole reason we're here, <laughs> is to give money to the artisans. So, no, that will never happen. Help me figure out how to lower my shipping costs to get them to right. the United States. That would be awesome. Yeah. So, it, so you only sell these in the U.S. You don't. We sell in Canada. In Canada as well. We have some doors starting to potentially open in Europe, which we're very excited about. It. We may realize that in 2023, but right now, mm-hmm. it is really United States and Canada, and primarily Whole Foods Market. How stores. quickly can you scale? Like if if somebody like, like if another billionaires listen to our yeah, podcast I mean, yeah come well, on you know let's say Crate and Barrels somebody from Crate and Barrels listening yeah. they're like we would love to feature your baskets like we need them in two hundred doors tomorrow yeah. I know that that's a crazy right. statement but let's just say something like that so happened. our timeline our pipeline takes an average of six months from the minute we say go. Yeah. to the time that the product arrives in our hands in the states and we're able to turn it around. So it's about Pretty a six, typical. It's about a 6-month timeline. Yeah. We are battling uh, all kinds of issues that people might not think about when you come into our offices at 10 by 3, we have this little panel and it shows you the time and other details about every single country. People, oh, look, you know, it's three o'clock in the morning in Ghana. Well, that's not the piece of information on that panel that we are looking at. What we're really looking at is today it was 95 degrees in Ghana. Yeah. Here we're about to face a, a, a cold storm as, <laughs> mm-hmm. as we're recording this podcast coming through St. Louis area. Um, and so weather conditions, we're dealing with a natural fiber product. Drought affects us. Global warming affects us. Uh, too much rain means in Uganda, we can't go pick up Harriet's basket. So these are the types of things that make our supply chain arguably one of the most complex around. It's a natural fiber product being handmade mm-hmm. by people in extreme conditions. And that brings with it just layers of complexity that are all just yeah. we don't have time to These even go into. set up factories. No, they you know, are not. They're, they're, so if a Crate and Barrel called today yeah. and said we'd like to feature those baskets, we would say, awesome sauce. Here's how much we have in our current inventory that you could pilot right now today. And I keep on hand in our um, building in St. Louis, which is right next door to the St. Louis Science Center in the Paraquad building. We're very proud of the fact that if we have to write a rent check, that it goes to support another nonprofit. Mm -hmm. So we're very cautious with how we release our money and try to create as many ripple effects as we can uh, with that money. And this is one of the ways that we can do that. But uh, in our building in St. Louis, I will keep about 60% of the year's supply in our building at any given time. So that if a crate and barrel called tomorrow, I would have absolutely enough to of a certain it would have to be situational like i happen to know right now i have a thousand too many of the large size of these right now oh, today wow. so 
you know, if she a, was pointing to the veggie basket, which, yeah, which, is, the veggie which is the basket. one I'm currently yeah. eyeballing. Yes, <laughs> right. So it's the veggie basket. Emily's like, and Michelle, it's the large guess size. what you're getting for Christmas? <laughs> and, you know, Whole Foods Market decided that it only wanted the small and the medium size due to shelf space. Mm. So now our artisans can make these and shipping. It's best if I make these in sets of three because of the shipping nesting. space, et cetera, yeah. the nesting and so forth. Well, now I got a thousand extra mm. because Whole Foods Market does not give us a guaranteed buy. We have to guess and plan and we've been doing it for 20 years so we're pretty good at it to to guess what they're going to buy but at the minute they have a different bowl of granola that day and they say hey the large is out the medium is in oh my lord i have six months worth of inventory that i now have to move so, mm. so can can average consumers like Michelle and I on a Saturday on, a, on our shopping or wine <laughs> tasting like, tour web, come visit? Are on a website order so, direct to uh, consumer? Many things. Yes, we do have a website. You can go to 10by3.org and make your purchases there. And no, you really can't come by our building. We have had people do that, but we're primarily a whole selling to wholesale Um because that's how we can help our artisans in the greatest way. Mm. We Yes, of course, the store is going to take margin. Fine enough. But the artisan needs to be able to sell hundreds and hundreds of units in order to achieve their goals. Sure. And so while we do throw open the doors of our building once a year, and that is the second Saturday of November every year, you will find us open that weekend where we are selling off end runs over stocks, slightly damaged product that you probably wouldn't even notice the problem yeah. with it, uh, but we do. Uh, and that's the day that we open our doors. Until yeah. then, we ask people, please go to your go to your nearest Whole Foods and buy them. Go to our website and buy them. Yes, we will get more money directly if you buy it from our website because we're not giving margin to Whole Foods. Uh, but these are beautiful products that you may want to handpick. And we need them to sell at Whole Foods. So yeah. either way, yeah. you're going healthy. to help us. Well, I, I can tell you that since we've had this you know um, conversation, I know I've seen these baskets in Whole Foods. Yep. And I've always felt that, oh... It's probably some kind of, you know, scam, right? Yep. I never, like, really, I, I never bought one. I never went, like, looked at it too closely because I just didn't trust. And you know what? You shouldn't. <laughs> you shouldn't trust what you what you read. And that's, you know, how we kind of started our right, conversation right. Uh, today. So on the back of every, first of all, on the front is the very face of the very person who made this very product. In country... When the artisan comes to the table and presents this basket, I'm happy to hold a, a basket from a woman named Harriet, who, I, who really, I know very really well. really cute. It's red yeah, and she's, beige. She's, it's she's just an amazing mama. Cute, what cute what basket. kind of basket is this? Uh, we call this a butterfly basket, but it's made out of seagrass and sisal that she has expertly wrapped around. So the, the, the tan part here is banana leaf. She will walk out literally to her front yard, take a banana leaf, like a gigantor banana leaf, like you might be picturing mm. in your mind d take the leaf part off but leave the stock and then expertly with a needle finally oh uh, separate that stock until it becomes very almost like spaghetti but thinner wow. and then she will expertly dry it in the sun if she dries it in the wrong way it'll shrivel up break and you can't use it so she has to lay it out in a particular way we had to teach the women of Uganda to turn what I would call the meat side of that stock, which is sort of mm. spongy and not attractive, to the inside of the basket. This is the fine detail training that we provide all of ours. They have the skill to weave. 
But nobody's ever said, hey, that if spongy just, side is not attractive. But if you turn it to the inside, we can sell a lot more of your products yeah. like that. So that's the type of training that uh, that we would that we would do. Um, so I can't quite remember where we were heading. You were talking story. about her, uh, her picture on the front and oh, every yeah. tag. So don't trust what you read. She will come to the table and she will tell us how many products she's made. That gets entered into a database uh, that is cloud-driven. Uh, it'll be associated with her profile out from a small printer, um, maybe the size of two of my hands, you know, two hands put together, about that that size, uh, out will print these labels that we ship from the United States. Do you know that it took us three months to figure out the right paper to print those labels onto so that they don't tear, they don't um, smudge, or, smudge, they don't yeah. turn black when they're in the container, they can take a dunking in water because some of our baskets have to be dipped in water. It took forever, but we got it. Wow. So she will be given these labels. Uh, an assistant that is with the Ugandan team will tear them off and toss them into the basket so she knows this one goes on this basket. And then quietly she will sit... Uh, and attach every label to her product. So it comes uh, attached with dental floss. And that little number that's assigned to that basket will follow it all the days of its life, all the way that's into your incredible. hand. And so on the back, you'll see this special series of numbers. If you go to oh, our yeah, website look up code. and you put that oh. code into our website under... Uh, meet your artisan, you will learn all about Harriet oh and her three children, or four children, actually. And you'll learn everything that you want to know about Harriet, what she's doing with her money, where she's at on her journey, how her businesses are running, and you can write her a letter. And despite language and technology barriers, she can write you back. That's amazing. And we've had thousands of letters exchange hands between the most unlikely people on the planet. So in Harriet's culture... As a woman, she has no voice. Yeah. But through 10 by 3, she has a voice to the world. I this is, isn't this amazing, Just, Michelle? Yeah. So, so uh, I'm curious, as a part, part of what you're developing and fostering um, entrepreneurship with mm -hmm. these women, you know, you've, you've gone through this massive learning curve going from journalist to social entrepreneur. Are you providing any mentorship um, for the women? Yeah. So to some degree, so this is where it gets hard uh, because what I've learned over time, if you see some of the early posters of 10 by 3, it says we're in 33 countries because remember those inquiries mm -hmm. that came yeah. all, yes. all, over the, all over the world? Um, Bob Scandalaris, back to him, we're standing at a mixer somewhere at, at Wash U, and in Bob's traditional style, he just kind of saddles up to me very nonchalantly and he goes, you know, not even hardly looking at me. You know, you can't save the whole world at once. And then he walks away. He, he, he walked away. <laughs> and so that stuck with me. Yeah. We cannot solve all of the issues that the women face at once. And what I've learned over time is that if we try to handle the water problems, the healthcare issues, the education issues, the business training issues, we will spread ourselves so thin mm -hmm. that we won't be able to do the core work, sell the basket, sell the basket, give them right. the money, sell the basket, give them the money. But I say that to say that when they are presenting their baskets, all of the on-ground teams are trained and in the interview process, we're talking to them once a year about their businesses. There is coaching going on. Now, 
It's very rudimentary. It's not from a qualified. Well, it's regionalized <laughs> too. Yeah. So it's like, hey, Harriet, tell us how your chickens doing. I, I have a real yeah. life story about her. It's funny that that we have her basket. So I'm standing in Uganda. She I, she had just received a payout. The some just before I arrived, and the word on the street is Harriet's bought three goats, and she's excited and come on. She wants to show her, her goats. So this was the plan. So I get to the group, and I'm like, we do the business. And I'm like, Harriet, you know, take. So we go over to her house. house. Very big deal to have a foreigner visit your mm-hmm. home. Super exciting time. And I said, so where are your goats? And her little face just falls. And I said, what, what happened? And she said, my goats were stolen. Oh, my God. I said, oh, my Lord, Harriet, I'm so sorry. I said, so, well, what are you going to do with this payout that you received today? I just, that's one I just gave you. And she, she looked at me sharp as a tack. And she goes, build a fence. Uh, <laughs> bingo. It's failing forward. Yes. I could wow. have sat there all day long if I'd been in, you know, country or one of our directors could have done the same thing and said, Harry, you need to build a fence before you buy the goats. Mm-mm. Yes. There is this moment. I mean, think about the biggest lessons that you've learned in your life. Oh, you, you it, earn them. <laughs> you earn them. Yeah. And it's we call it failing forward. And so mm-hmm. it's a real critical moment that so and I, I hope I hope you and your listeners are are hearing the spirit in that we're we're not saying, "Oh gosh, let them fail." That's no, 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 no. There's I, this moment that so while yes, while she, we are asking them about their businesses and sort of coaching oh well did you ever think of goats or did your fit you know sure. like there's some general questions we're going to ask in hopes of sparking ideas One i of- find that her statement um build a fence is like um a, a very strong and empowered like yeah. n- you stole my goats well, you know what? I'm, I'm back, gonna, and, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, and I'm still. I still have right. my revenue stream, and I'm going to make it harder for you That's to exactly steal my goats it. next time. Yeah. I'm going to exactly keep. It. I'm going to keep building what I need to yeah. build to keep my. You know, and that's. I, it came across to me as very empowering, yep. as opposed to like, yeah, they stole my goats. Now I just, yeah. you know, and, and and I think there's a resiliency yeah. that is that we see in these baskets. I mean, yeah. Wow, I wouldn't have the patience. Oh no! To sit and make these works oh, of my art, gosh. I've tried. and they are works of <laughs> I just art. Kicked me out! They kicked me out! I had a woman just grab her straw and just leave. She's <laughs> like, "You're wasting you are straw. ruining my straw. I've got to get, I've got to get out of here." Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. So wow. I have um, two things. Okay. One, I have a very juicy question for you. Okay. But. In order to transition to that juicy question, okay. we should actually talk about the juice the that wine. we yeah. have been yeah. drinking. Yeah, this oh, has been really such delicious. this has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation. Yeah. I, yes. I mean, we could. We I know could talk there's to you so many tangents of, <laughs> yeah. of, of things we could we could yeah. talk about, yeah. but I do want to make sure before this conversation ends that yeah. we talk about what we've enjoyed here. So I knew we were going to have um, a little bit of a party tonight, and it would be a really enjoyable conversation. So I got something in the spirit of that. Um, Bubbles, Bubbles, of course. Of course. And uh, and when I saw this bottle, I'm not usually tempted by the aesthetics of a bottle. I'm usually like very, uh, you know, very, you know, Emily, intentional. Emily does about, not judge a book by its cover. No, I'm She's, very intentional uh, about my research and. But this one just called to me. It's Soir de Paris, the night of Paris. And I just was like, and it has all these little stars on it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is our festive holiday drinking bottle. And um, so it is a sparkling. It's Blanc de Blanc. Um, It is a brute. It is out of France. I honestly don't know where uh, in France it's produced. Um, 
But I've got to say, I'm really happy with the fact that I judged the book by the cover this yes, time. Yes, and uh, it's really and smooth. It actually. is, and it has a beautiful color yeah, too. Yeah, very it. golden in color. Yeah, very golden. And. I honestly don't really see the bubbles anymore. <laughs> I, I mean, saw them when you poured it. Yeah, I they saw were. them when you poured it, but they're not. You're not gonna. I'm getting but a still few. There. I, I swirled it a little bit, and it's got it's got still got some bubbles they're in there. Kind but, of a, yeah, man, this and it's light. Um, it's very, very light, very sweet, kind of caramel appley, and mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it it's it is very pleasant. I would. I would drink it, it is, again, definitely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And and yeah. it, you know, it fits within our parameters of being under $20 a bottle. It was $19.99. With a coupon and some washing dishes on the side. To and get a couple setting of the eyelashes, and I got it down to $19.99, yes, exactly. says Emily. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's very, very tasty. And yeah. one of the things that we do on the podcast, um, our listeners know, but uh, Teresa doesn't know, is I always compare. If this wine were a panty, mm-hmm. I wonder if I should say if this wine were a basket. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. It's a very full basket. It's a very full basket. <laughs> yeah. Full of uh, yeah, it's, joy. Um, it's, a, it's a golden color, <laughs> um, and it's a, it's a prosperity. It is. It's the more you drink, the more prosperous uh, you feel. That's <laughs> true. Um, no, yeah, I, I don't actually have a panty to describe it with it tonight. I'm just I'm overwhelmed with the wonderful yeah, work that you're it's, doing. Um, it's incredibly moving and powerful. And I love, one, that it's this is something that you've grown throughout the years. It's here <laughs> to stay. Yep. And, two, the impact of it, you know, the, the sheer number of women that – you know, it's not just the women, but it's their families, it's their communities. Right. You know, they're they're all having by nature a ten by three, at least three businesses, right? That's right. And so now look at all of the the other people they're employing and just the trickle effect of yeah. of of one basket, what that really means. Right. It's it's um can you actually quantify it? We've done our best. So in the early days, um, I had these university students at WashU who were like, we need to study this. And I'm like, get the hell out of my way. I'm busy. I'm busy. So we don't have a lot of real data. So I, I now when I, I teach and, and speak with students, I tell them respect the data because I didn't. I saw it as annoying and stupid. And I wish I had that data now. Yeah. So all we can do is do some extrapolations. Yeah. Today, if it moves, we're tracking it. You know, and well, I've got the really good. Technology's there yeah, to do that. I've got really good data from I would say probably starting about eight years ago. I've got really good data, and really even stronger within the last five years. But those early years where we were doing some of our most transformative work, we we have the data, but it's spread out all over all kinds of paper. So. Based on our analysis of what we what we did track and what we could see in these narratives and other other documentation that we have, we know that the average woman is starting at bare minimum three. So mm-hmm. that's where we picked up the name of ten by three. 
We then so our and the our ten, ben- 10 comes from purchasing ten products a month oh, at okay. prosperity wages equals their ability to start three small businesses and an exit from. So poverty. they need to make ten wow. baskets or what a month a month mm-hmm. <sighs> a month. Now some women don't. So if you looked at how many artisans we have versus how many we're selling, the math doesn't tie out because Harriet doesn't need to make ten anymore. She's oh, too sure. busy running her other forty running businesses. Her businesses <laughs> and she doesn't need that and she'll just right. come back when she needs a few baskets. But she propelled her into Exactly, exactly. So the number will not immediately tie out. But we we estimate that um, through these extrapolations that we've helped more than eight thousand people graduate from extreme poverty. They no longer need the help of ten by three, and that they have launched over forty two thousand small businesses oh, wow. around that's the world. Crazy! Yeah. Wow! Oh my gosh! And we think that's actually an under an underestimate. Yeah. As a journalist, I would because you know again I was an investigative journalist, so I would always underreport the facts. Like if the bad yeah. guy was bad, I would tell you he's super bad, and here's the reasons he's bad. But I had all this because he would certainly sue me and I would have all these things about him that or yeah. her that I did not report and so I do like to underreport our numbers and so these numbers that I'm giving you we actually think are extremely low yeah. but uh, if somebody came along and challenges and said prove it we would be able to show you our extrapolations and yeah. then invite you to say you know you do your own estimates because in these early days we don't have uh, that data today we do, and today we're tracking those three small businesses in in uh, stronger ways so that we can really start to put some data behind so, it. But uh, yeah, let, let me ask you this um, uh, burning question, because you know there's a lot of business owners that listen to clearly speaking the podcast mm. too, billionaires mm-hmm. and business oh, owners. Yay, they're always they're <laughs> always looking for you know great business advice from our podcast. Mm-hmm. You made a decision. From the very beginning, that you were going to give your employ your artisans your mm-hmm. prosperity wages. Mm-hmm. Have you suffered in your life because <laughs> you've been giving your people prosperity wages, wages that they can pay their rent, mm-hmm. buy a house, course, get yeah. a car, yeah. and buy food? Have no. you suffered greatly no. from that? Of course not. Okay. Yeah. That's what people need to understand, right? right? Yeah. Like that. I mean, in the United yeah. States. Yeah. We don't we right. we don't have we don't have many business owners that think like you do. Like, right. you know what? I if I pay my people enough that they can like more than enough to live, right. Right. they'll be even better workers. That's right. And we try to do that same thing here at home with yeah. our nine people uh, yeah. that we that we have on our team. And uh, you're right. So I belong to a community called Conscious Capitalism. And if you've never heard about Conscious Capitalism, it's something that, you know, we could do another podcast on. I would love to. It's quite interesting. And there's a whole community of business owners, and I mean a lot of them, spread around the nation and now growing into uh, places around the world that believe in the elements of conscious capitalism and it's investing in your stakeholders and your employees and there's real like for real for real evidence of how that contributes to your bottom line companies like patagonia um st louis bread company they are owned by um individuals that are running those companies as conscious companies other so, people across the united states might know st louis bread company as panera, pa- panera but bread. it is st louis bread right, co exactly. here exactly <laughs> So um, being a conscious company, I, I try to follow those those standards for my own team. I, I do what I can. We are still a nonprofit, and I'm limited by what our budget can do. The baskets do not support us 100%. This is a, 
Uh, so we, out of that $2.2 million budget that we'll have this year, we'll still raise about 90% of that money from the sale of our products. The rest of it still has to come from donors. We're not quite sustainable. So from my standpoint for wages, I'm doing the very best yeah. that I can. So for uh, example, in our warehouse team, if you are a beginning fulfillment person, you're going to start at $18.50 an hour to fulfill the orders for right. our clients. It's the best I can do. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, now, if if the baskets sell, you know, more, and I tell my team, and they do know this about me, that I wake up every day to do two things. Sell the basket to push more hands into the money, or money into the hands of our artisans, and sell the basket so that I can push more money into the hands of our team. Um, I uh, personally have a salary of $82,000 a year. I started at $40,000, and after year 12, my board forced me, like straight up forced me, Mm -hmm. to um, double that. They said, you're holding back your whole team. Nobody can, you know, make as much as you, and... They forced me to take that, and I said I will do that on two conditions. One, that I never receive a raise again. I, I This will be the only time that will ever happen. And two, that if I ever <clears throat> go and speak and get paid or write a book and get paid, that those will be revenues I'll keep. And that was the arrangement. And so for more than a decade now, that has been my earning, and that will remain so my earning. So you, when you win the Nobel Peace Prize or Nobel Prize for Economics, you'll keep that? Well, maybe. <laughs> I it's a 10 by 3 because I would come with a million dollars. But, yeah. So that is, you know, people ask me, where do we see ourselves in five years? Well, first of all, I don't want to be in the CEO seat anymore. I'm ready to transition this company. Um, someone better than myself can actually run it. And what I mean by that is when I wasn't – I set out to do good in the world almost 20 years ago. It has wildly – exceeded any expectation I could have ever have thought in my mind. There's, I could close it tomorrow and say, well done. Like, yeah. did it, done, check the box. Uh, and now that I'm looking at that, you know, that 20-year window, I just, this is all, this is the recent moment of my journey. We started talking about how it began and, you know, where you yeah. find me today is in a very reflective space where do we go now? Do we do we keep hitting repeat? Does 10 by 3 need to continue to exist? Should I, because I will be, I'm thinking about retirement. I'm 55 mm-hmm. years old. I'm ready to start thinking about the next phase of my life. Does it, does it need to survive because of my ego? Like I had this, mm-hmm. like I had a real reflective time and it didn't take me very long. I mean, all you have to do is look at the faces on all of these mm-hmm. cards and realize this is important. It's so much bigger than me, and it needs to it needs to survive. Yeah. What were those numbers again? Uh, over twenty years, forty thousand. <laughs> yeah, businesses, thousands of businesses, and eight thousand women. I mean, so I mean, those sheer numbers alone tell you that there's a need for right. this to continue because you know that. Um, it 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 can grow from here. It can, you know, and it it so and when it, I wasn't and it will yeah when I wasn't looking literally a multi million dollar retail operation grew up around me 
and I have no damn clue what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm trying my best, but it's at a stage now where yeah. someone else can come in and be the CEO of this organization and take it to so many, so much bigger heights. And, you know, so I'm looking at a phase where I would like to become the guardian of our artisans, making mm-hmm. sure that no matter who is at the helm, my my artisans and I mean I call them my because they're they're like my family. Yeah. They're yeah. people who are very dear to me. People you know like Harriet who we've been talking about. People who I know who um, I I care deeply about. Um, that as long as I'm their guardian and making sure that um, things are going the way that I would expect in terms of how they are treated. I don't care where they're selling if they're in Whole Foods or Crate and Barrel. I don't I don't yeah. want to have to worry about any of that. But I would like to get to the point where I'm the guardian of the artisans and to start writing, to, you know, do what you've been, um, you know, so brave to do, which is to write. I have some, I think some, they've taught me a lot. Yeah. And you have a, you have. There's a lot of voices. A lot of stories yeah. in yeah. here So to many say. stories to tell. These women have taught me so much. I'm a smarter, better, stronger person mm-hmm. for having had the privilege of being able to just help them on their journey. And, and we are smarter, better, stronger, and our listeners are just for having the privilege of you on our podcast today. Thank you guys yeah. so much We really, really appreciate you coming on, and uh, I want you to come back. I know. Absolutely. I, I would love to come I back. Know. Oh. I, I knew it. Back. I knew it. I messaged yeah. her at I'm midnight. Like, I'm like, yeah. oh, Michelle. I like made, made a bunch <laughs> of notes. And so repeat again for our listeners where they can find you online. Okay. Yeah. So if they, I mean, they can go to Whole yeah. Foods and, you know, it's okay, guys, but make it's sure okay. it's a 10 by 3 basket. That's right. It has to say 10 by 3. It has to it say has 10 by 3. It has to show the face of the if artisan or it's a fake. If you bought a different one, take it back. Take it back. And get the 10 by 3. there are some imposters out there. And we do, we, we, I took some photos. Right. We have photos. On but our so socials. your website is 10by3.org. 10by3.org. Is that is, is that numerically? T-E-N, or, okay. Yeah, it's all spelled out. T E N B Y T H R E E dot O R G is the best place that you can go. If you're listening to this podcast and you'd like to make a donation, you can donate right there. Um, and uh, we do need those donations. Like I said, right. 90 plus percent we raise ourselves. But I'm in, as we're sitting here speaking, I'm working on my still, even though it's almost around the corner, 2023. Um, budget. I am two hundred and eleven thousand dollars short, and I don't know what I'm going to do. I will. I it don't will know what come. I'm going to do it right now. It'll. I just have to trust because yeah. we're doing the right thing with all yeah. of the limited resources that we have. So yeah, we. So the acts of kindness, they'll find their way. We we, yeah. we need those acts of kindness. <laughs> um, but like I said, unlike most nonprofits, over ninety percent we raise ourselves, but we do need a little help to get to that final mile. Right. We think. We'll actually hit the break-even point once we hit a hundred thousand units, so, and we're get we're knocking on the door of that. This year it looks like about eighty-five thousand, and next year we're projecting ninety-five thousand. So we're knocking it's on exciting. the door exciting of sustainability. Times. And above all, I think most of your I know your listeners can be from anywhere in the world, but I'm sure a lot of them are from St. Louis area, and we owe a lot to this city. We owe a lot to the St. Louis metro area. They built us. They I mean they invested we're in you. If the baskets don't sell, we're nothing. So for everybody listening who's ever bought a blessing basket or a 10 by 3 basket, thank you so much. It's yeah. mattered. It's made a great deal of difference in the world. And go tell someone you know. 
that you've yeah. listened to this podcast. And, and, and buy a basket and tell yeah. them to buy a basket. Well, again, Teresa, thank you yeah. so much for taking the time to come talk with us thank today. You guys for having me. This is wonderful. Um, and we will have you back as, as your schedule allows because <laughs> yeah. we know you're very busy. Yes. So, so thank um, you for sharing your story and congratulations on the success of this organization. And I, I can't wait to hear what's next. Yeah. Thank yeah. you guys so much. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for all you do as well. Thank you guys. Thank you.